not to rag on Django, but it's hard for him to cast a shadow because you'd think the light would reflect off that beaming head of his and immediately cast a spotlight at anything behind him. But yeah, yeah geez, the International Space Station is like, hey, there's the signal. Oh, <laughs> oh whoa, whoa, wow, <laughs> buddy, wow. And you That's have been having new hot sauce, Roman. He you are is spicy. One of our best friends still. So yeah, come no, on, oh, yeah. Roman. I say it with yeah, love, Roman. Oh yeah, do you say it with love? Because I saw I venom in your eyes. everybody welcome to batman in quarantine episode 29 we're talking about batman batman and robin number three uh morrison and quietly two better boys i know not of unless it were justin and i on an early 2000 you know 15 or 16 comics place shift where we were probably doing bad boy things we weren't supposed to be doing um, I actually don't even remember days. what year that would have been, but probably 2015 when, before we moved into the new store. Yeah, there, 2015, 2016 is when we were up to no good yeah. perpetually. Was, was there ever, ever really a time, especially before Django, when when you could have been doing something bad, really? Like, that yeah, that's matter? true. <laughs> upon, upon Django's birth into the comics place scene, a faux <laughs> illusion of professionalism was cast over the comics place that's what i immediately was like i don't trust him or his shoes because mm-hmm. <laughs> they take no. steps of fake professionalism this is so exciting justin we've got you back on with us you took a made you it took a bold adventure into the world unknown you had a thing yeah. or two on a day or two we had wonderful <laughs> support from ryan russell and will elmer doing episodes yeah. with us for uh, issues one and two fun. But I'm so so pumped that you are back, so you can get a hand on the ball. These Frank Quitely issues. I was worried for a second that I would not get to talk with you about Frank Quitely issues, and that felt like a cosmic injustice. So I'm glad we're all here. Me too. And it had me wondering. It had me sitting and thinking upon. Ooh, I've been wondering myself. My couch. I'm very loud about my like favorite two comic artists, but I don't know that I would be able to confidently say who your favorite comic artist is, one or two. Me? Yeah. I don't know if I could confidently say that uh, about my... I, I like a lot of artists. Um, I try not to have favorites because then I'll always waffle and wait, and uh-huh. it makes me seem even more inconsistent as a person than I am. If I had to um, guess two, I would say Storenko and Mignola. Okay, I love those are really really good. I quietly is really 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 up there as well. Though his body of work, I was trying to think of all the quietly books that I've like personally read in there. There's not that many, but yeah, Starenko is like a, my favorite classic guy. Mignola, you know, I love him. Love that guy. Uh, you know, I think I like his art even more than his like body of work. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I like Hellboy a lot, but my main draw to Hellboy is just beyond like it being gothic and supernatural and all that shit that I like. It's just the art. Like I just so cool. Um, I love his work on Batman. The few times that he's done covers and stuff. That's a pretty good beat. I, yeah, I wouldn't 
you know, there's some like newer people that I've just, you know, Mazzuccelli I love um, mm-hmm. and by proxy Fornes because he kind of channels the best parts <laughs> of that. Does. You know, I, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Jarenko, Mignola, Quietly. I love Quietly a lot. Um, but like I said, I was so, Quietly is so tied to Grant Morrison for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I like him. I, like, I haven't read him doing other books. I just, I particularly like him. What about you, Roman? Yeah, that's what I was about to get at. Yeah, kind of the same thing. I mean, there's so many. Every time I read a Quietly book, I, I remember again how much I love him, and I don't think about that. You know, I guess maybe because he doesn't do that many books, but I love him. I love Chris Burnham. Oh, Burnham is so good, too. Yeah, um, Bernie Wrightson, especially, mm. like, 70s Bernie Wrightson. That's one of my favorites. Um, oh, yeah, I know you're also yeah. one of those guys who, like, above anybody else, honestly and genuinely can say Kirby. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think Justin and I would both put Kirby up there, but also it would be sort of like like for historical importance and recognition that everything came from it. You're like, no, man, I'm six years old eating Cheetos and reading Kirby <laughs> comics again. So, like, it's just, yep. it's okay. like, you know, the part of the lineage. Yeah. 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 Oh, of course. Yeah. Kirby is, I mean, yeah, goes without saying. Stranko, too. He's in there. He's yeah. so good. Oh, George Perez. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. I like, know you're actually a huge George Perez. Guy. Yeah. And actually, late 70s through the 80s, John Byrne. Mm. Oh, I've heard you talk about Byrne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. I, I really like Mobius's work. Oh. But I oh. really like more of like, the lineage of Mobius, the people mm-hmm. who, who he's inspired. And I, I personally see a lot of Mobius and Quietly. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and like Grandpa yep. and all those. Brandon Graham is a different kind of branch of that, but still that like Mobius inspired people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that like very extraneous, melty Mobius inspired fluid melty, line. Yeah. Yeah. That is like my favorite school of art. It's hard for me to pinpoint one person at a time because, again, a lot of those people aren't just doing full books all the time. And I do think definitely Quietly is, like, one of the higher-up tiers of that school of art. Like, I think there's a lot of people influenced by Quietly, and I think Quietly is very clearly influenced by Mobius, and it kind of then puts all of these people in this Mobius school of art. Right. I think that Quietly is kind of the crown jewel of that and is also a master in his, like, he's on Mobius's level at this point, but you could tell. To me, I see the early seeds of what he was trying to do as a direct continuation from Moebius. Moebius. Okay, good. We talked about some other artists for a second. That's good because now I'm just going to tenderly begin filleting Frank Quietly and place place it ever so gently next to my mouth. Uh, I, you know, love love this guy. I'm so grateful we got these three issues and then we got the covers for the next, you know, all 16. Yeah, it's it's totally perfect. Uh, what was interesting to me is like there's a very interesting coloring going on in these three issues. I've never really seen the style of. We talked a little bit about it on yesterday's episode, but it's got a lot of like kind of when you have like a shitty camera and it does like these stark divisions oh, in color. Or, you're right. It, it seems like it's intentional, like a stylistic thing, but it's not a thing I've really seen elsewhere. And I, it almost at times. It's just a weird effect, and I, I like it, but I also, it sometimes a little bit reminds me of, like, when digital coloring was becoming a thing. They started recoloring people like Byrne and Kirby and doing these, like, you're just like, oh, I don't know that you needed to throw that 
kind of poor gradient on this really awesome piece of art that could be a flat color. It almost looks like you're, yeah, you're reading this through a broken TV screen or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you saying this has made me notice it, but like, I'm so interested in what's going on in the story and the pacing and the way he tells what he's doing from panel to panel and the way he frames his shots. But if you just sit there and look at it, it's very like toxic and almost sickening. Like it's the coloring the, or the art. Yeah. The yeah. coloring they, and it's intentionally. So like it feels, especially with professor pig, it feels super like unnerving and unnatural. Um, and it is interesting to note, like quietly inked himself for all of this, these three issues. And he doesn't always, and I do love when he inks himself. I looked into it pretty heavily. These three issues of Batman and Robin came out a couple months later than they were supposed to. However, they did come out one month apart. And I do feel like this third issue, while still quietly, which is, you know, my favorite shit in the world, I feel like this issue even looks a little bit more rushed than issue number one. Like the the inking on like the facial textures, the lines, it's a lot more seemingly extraneous line rather than fewer, more detailed, wrinkly looking lines. I think that can like really evidently be seen like in the later conversation that Gordon has uh, with Dick. There's just, it's, there's at moments, it seems a little bit like, you know, quietly can't do a monthly book. He just, he can't do it. And right. we shouldn't expect him to do it. And the fact that these came out one month apart is impressive. But I, I, I do often feel like you can kind of feel his art become more rushed when he has latter part, parts of a deadline. For sure. And in the first issue, when I was rereading it, I wanted to touch really quickly, like, is this the secret best of Quietly's work? Because everything is so perfectly placed. There's not one specifically issue one, like one thing out of place. Every panel is super intentional. The choreography, the way he frames his shots are so... That's a great point. There's no fat in this issue. Everything gets to the point. Um, and then I, as I read, and he still does that in issue two and three, like there's some really cool shots that just like, the panel is very small, but it conveys exactly what it needs to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is like some of, even the bodies seem a little limp and rush. Like he's not putting as much immense detail as he normally does, which quietly can like inject an insane amount of detail into anything. I think if you let him, he'll spend a year on an issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But this issue wraps up the first arc of Batman and Robin, which has seen the new villain of professor pig trying to inject madness into the world by getting everybody addicted to an identity destroying toxin neurotoxin this so picks cool. up with dick dragon the flaming headed dude from the circus of strange around on his new giant wheeled bat four-wheeler <laughs> then we get our real introduction to professor pig and a several page sequence of him putting the sexual dance moves on our good good friend mm. damian wayne mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, oink and yeah. Damien busts out, gets into a fight with Professor Pig, almost gets his shit wrecked. Then Dick shows up, saves the day. The two of them take down the evil pig man. We get a flash forward sequence that ties into that gorgeous end of Batman R.I.P. And then we get a really cool sort of epilogue bit that shows Alfred wandering around the, the Bat Hotel, if you will, and a, a, a twist, a surprise appearance at the end that we'll get to that meant very little to me when I first read this out of ignorance. Oh, I, I didn't realize that was part of the issue. I, I thought, There's feet. 
Let me read that real quick. <laughs> yeah, do that. Oh my gosh, it's the it's the red hood, but in a whole new costume. So Roman, you got that in you? Yep. Deep in you. So Deep in the park. Let's just let's get let's get into this. Justin, <laughs> what how are you feeling about all of this? You and I love these three issues. We've read them a ton. Uh, um I can't tell what makes me m- more sick that piggly wiggly ass and the shot of his Professor Pig's intro dance or Roman's dirty little oink noise that he just made. Oh, but, uh, um, Roman resist. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> ooh, I'm sweaty uh, in a bad way. In a way that like you start to sweat but when you realize you're going to die. But right before you die, you're like, oh, God, it's hot. Oh, um, that's the I, good way. Oh, oh, oh. There, you know, Professor Pig is the most disgusting fictional creation there ever was and i love it i think that an interesting an interesting part of you know batman and robin and these first three issues is that coming out of r.i.p i mean coming out of the whole first third of the run and then into final crisis it was very apparent to me upon this read through what a surface level story these first three issues are like it's a lot of character work for dick a lot of character work for damien but there's not any like deeply grand hidden metaphors or crazy color themes or like it is a very these first three issues are a much more evident story a b c these things happen yeah i think he's letting it have a little fun Mm -hmm. um trying to really get us like I, i honestly think he's trying to like paint a new world a completely new type of batman story that hasn't been told so there's a lot of like just kind of mechanical stuff but he does – there are those domino killer hints that show right. up quite a bit. And I, as I finished this issue, I was like, oh, okay, so there's still, there's still Grant doing what Grant do, <laughs> doing cool foreshadowing and shit. But I did agree. I was like, man, this is literally just like Dick Grayson and uh, Damien chasing down a baddie and busting up some people. Yeah. That being said, the ash, action is super cool and super twisted. I love Professor Pig. I think he's a genius character. I I also like him a lot, but I always love you speaking high regards about him. And and he he just, he, he has that mess of like Oedipal, Freudian, also psychotic components that all feel like things that you think about or look at with him. Think. Like it's all, it all builds into a world I feel like Justin has read a lot about. Yeah, it's got the Freudian thing. It's also like he, you know, Pygmalion is the Greek mythological character that created the little Myrmidon foot soldiers. So he's oh. also that. He's profe- and that's why it's PYG is Pygmalion has that name. So wow, he is that idea. weird thing that occurs within story and sometimes within the world. And what's the difference? But like when thing, I don't know, the weird overlap between mythology and psychology, that weird like when yeah. the identity gets crushed, a story comes through kind of thing. And so he's this Greek mythological character. And I think in that story, that character had a weird thing about moms. And we know that serial killers usually have really weird mom dynamics, like, mm-hmm. you know, father-son parental dynamics, especially like uh, male child m- with his mother is usually weird. And he's got this whole weird mom tower thing. <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> 
a Let's really talk for a second about the mom tower. Oh, yeah. As we tower. get into the scene of like Damien waking up and seeing Professor Pig ready to put a face on, or maybe he's just putting the face on the girl that was kidnapped around the same time in the previous issue. Actually, it was issue number one, whose father like died, and he abandons doing anything to her to start operating on Damien. And he wasn't going to operate on Damien until Damien was awake because he doesn't want to do it without. A performance aspect you know because this whole thing is i you know when he goes on that bit about i want to operate in front of people i want to you know like yeah. i want to i'm broken i want to operate i want to be broken in front of people it's like the Fucking the gross. angry streaker in a j- jacket and a hat that runs into the basketball court and shows his weenie and runs out <laughs> look at me <laughs> yeah god that was a heavy moment we just had there <laughs> but i yeah i thought that this mom tower is so interesting. He has this wooden structure with all these nails, and he says something to the effect of, like, every hug is a crucifixion, which is such a messed up idea. But Ronan and I touched on the previous one about how there's that those studies that have been done about the monkeys who they'll have, like, a wireframe mother or a cloth mother, and the ones who a- approach wireframe mothers, one with nails, or, like, don't have any source of warmth or softness, like, have a just a different ability to relate to the other monkeys and the ones who had a faux mother, which is, again, speaks to your just point about, uh, yeah, the mother-son dynamic and a lot of things can be... And babies just need love. If babies just start need love. love. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. and that's part of the... I'm so impressed, like, I think, Justin, you said the genius Professor Pig, that's the character. Because, yeah, Jeff just referenced the Harry Harlow was the psychologist that did these experiments. Mm. And the, the nail mother, the wire mother was the one that was set up with a bottle to give food. And he did these right. experiments to see if the monkey, if the baby monkeys would automatically turn to the food-giving fake mother or the, cl- or the cloth mother that felt good to hug. I forgot that that was the nuance of it. Thank you. Yeah, and, and it ended up showing that, and it ended up later on, I, people like don't show these films in schools anymore for the most part because it's traumatizing to see these poor little monkeys that are, scared and frightened and they open these doors to see which one it would go to automatically and it ended up proving for the first time in american psychology that baby primates including us are going to pick the comforting mother even though the other one has food and it some and the monkeys would like go to the other one get food real quick but then go to the comforting mother for nurture so it was the whole nurture versus nature thing and then it's so interesting that this dude is just stuck on the wire mother he's yeah. like i don't even need that warmth man give me those nipple those nail nipples <laughs> yeah and he's even hearing and you in one panel he, when he shows the wire mother he's even hearing a voice in his head in the blue word balloons that says you could do better you could do better right <laughs> that's his like uh his super, super critical super ego, like the evil super ego. There's the idea that like when kids are, you know, they model their parents that, you know, mom and dad are like gods and that's what you model your super ego off and that's your moral force. And if they're mean to you, then you just have this mean voice in your head all the mm. time. Um, and that's kind of what that is. He's a like they're, he's such a cartoon character, but at the same time, he's such a like real world. This is how people get fucked up. It's yeah. those, like three, yeah. the first year or two of, parental baby dynamics that can totally twist you if you don't get something as simple as just like unconditional love and so it's like he's so gross and comic booky but at the same time he's so frighteningly real yeah just in question if if, uh sorry roman i didn't mean to cut you off there but i'm just curious do either one of you know 
like when he does the bit about Monday, she's Mormo, formless chaos. Tuesday, it's Tiamat this and Tiamat that. And then Wednesday, the Gorgon Queen. That seemed like a mythological or something that one of the two of you would know about. Yeah, those are Babylonian, Greek. I don't know the, uh, the, the final one, but those are all like chaos mother. Um, like Tiamat is the mother of the gods in Babylonian mythology. So I think he's talking about his weird mommy dynamics, as well as like it's referencing the story that Pygmalion is is from. Wow. Yeah, I had to look up Tiamat. Well, Tiamat I know from Dungeons and Dragons originally because it's a dragon in mm-hmm. D and D lore. But uh, Mormo, yeah, is a female spirit in Greek folklore um, whose name was invoked by mothers and nurses to frighten children to keep them from misbehaving. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they bad bit. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And- yeah. The- Oh, please, please, sorry. Please. What I was going to say earlier was just that's and rereading this, I was like reminded, it's like, my God, this pig is such a genius character because especially being introduced for the first major like Damien is a, trying to be a superhero storyline because he's an anal- he's an analog villain for Damien who didn't have proper nurturing. Mm. And, and it just it all ties into that. It's like, wow, Morrison is so brilliant with this character. Great observation, Roman. Well that played, you ding-danger. That's like <laughs> how Joker and Bruce Wayne have this deep connection that they can't unbreak. These two yeah. are like, that's fucking awesome observation, Roman. And uh, I do think that... Good work, Grant. While this book <laughs> does have a fair amount of, like, this is a, a kind of linear on-the-surface story, I think it by necessity kind of has to be because it is Dick and Damien. It's like establishing the basis for this and he creates a rogue gallery that seems unique and fits to them the circus of strange makes so much to fit with dick but yeah you saying that professor pig fits so much with damien like that's a really yeah astute point and i guess it makes sense that while there isn't a lot of super deep confusing you know meta stuff going on there's a lot of work being done to establish the basis for these two heroes right and i feel like these types of characters aren't the kind of two-dimensional like pig he, his thing's being gross and damien's thing is being a dick like they're nuanced characters and we see these characters being used in comics now and when they're not puppeteered by grant morrison they just kind of lose their nuance and their depth um which like i want to see a damien batman story written by someone on the caliber of grant morrison that handles the pig the pig dynamics. Well, you know, <laughs> what just occurred to me is that there was that issues in Nightmares from Tom King that Mitch Garrett did the art for that had pig in it. And like, he ended up hallucinating that it was pig and it actually was Damien. Oh. And that didn't make sense to me in a really, like I couldn't grab a really salient metaphor out of that. But I feel like Roman just kind of unlocked even that issue for me, which is I think that there's a yeah, a big comparison between Damien and Pig that could feed into like Bruce's nightmare concerns about Damien becoming this thing because he didn't have a mother or these father complexes. Like he, yeah, I, anyway, I agree. The, Pig hasn't really been handled by writers that I have a ton of respect for, but I do really have a lot of respect for Tom King. And I do think that that maybe issue had more than I grasped out of it. I think Pig has showed up somewhere else that like it was just kind of a throwaway thing, but. Yeah, he's yeah, most writers just use him as, oh, he's, a, he's another, you know, crazy, crazy animal-themed villain. Psychosexual la, la, la. nut. Yeah. yeah. Man, I want, to re- I want to find that issue of Nightmares and whatever and reread that now. Yeah, near the end of Tom King's run. Yeah, I really like that issue 
for all, all kinds of other things it says about Batman. But yeah, the one thing that stuck in my craw was like, why did it go to Damien and mm-hmm. Roman there with his big, long, gooey duck? Salmon. He, yeah. <laughs> he salmon slapped some uh, knowledge into us. Thank you, Roman. Thank like, you. Uh, I, I, I reeled that one in good, didn't you I? Sure <laughs> did, Night Mariner. Um, I, I do think we need to talk about the fact that Pig uses an iPod mini yeah just like so effectively like hey let's put this issue in a time and place this is when ipod minis were out and i think a lot of us all had that same ipod music playing device the i hope so yep they were out back then were the scene where he's just dancing and his his the whole little beginning thing of imagine you're a girl at a dance and you meet this guy well read good looks except except his feet his feet are pig trotters. Like, it's just this, like, I fucking love that. Like, what the fuck? I love you. Uh, yeah. That big, juicy pig rump in that, yeah. like, far right panel. He's disgusting and he knows it. He's like, yeah. I know I'm bad. <laughs> Look at me be bad. Uh, yeah, it's fucking gross. And his the, ego is so fragile when Damien just, like, gives him nothing. He's like, oh. Yeah. He gets his yeah. ego really hurt. Oh. Yeah, That's such then, a great sequel, yeah. You just really defined is. wrong. Yeah, yeah. I and I I think it's a it's a cool, you know, our good friend Cody Walker brings up that it this whole thing and Quietly's paneling really works well to establish how like quickly and effective as a physical combatant Damien is. Yeah, he like, there's a up. lot of quick cuts, small panels, quick movement. And I think that it, you know, the the, the crux of this issue is that Damien and Dick broke up last issue and they get back together in this issue. And it's because they both kind of, Damien learns that he didn't do enough research. He didn't know enough, but as a physical opponent, like he does take out all these Dolatrons and he almost takes out Pig. He's like a fucking junkyard dog. He's a junkyard dog. But I, I thought that like, it, it, they did a good job of, of conveying this 10 year olds trained by the League of Assassins ability to just wreck shit. However, that's not the only <laughs> thing that, that uh, saves people at the end of the day. Right, and he ultimately like kind of makes the fatal error of going after Pig and then deciding mm-hmm. to save the person it was too late, and Dick Grayson wouldn't have done that. You know, Dick right. Grayson's priority is like helping helping people, um, yeah. not just getting the baddies. So there, you know, it's like it's it's weird. Usually you have like with Batman and Robin, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, you have tall, brooding, physical mass that needs an empathetic moral foreground. Um, Jiminy Cricket character that Dick Grayson is, and in this yeah. is reverse. You have the small, super physical, non-empathetic, not thinking, and then you have the tall, big person who is the caring, soft, considerate one. And those roles are reversed. It's like Dick Grayson is kind of Gandalf, Tinkerbell, um, <laughs> and Jiminy Cricket, yeah. and yeah, in this, and then Dick, yeah, Damien is the weird physical kind of force of force of will in the story. Um, Hey, as, I love that inver- inversion. Me too. As after Damien is fighting the Dolatrons and Pig, there's the scene where Dick, as Batman, breaks into where all of the Dolatrons in a separate location are going to poison. It, it turns out that it's a bacterial infection, and so they're spitting up all this disgusting green goo everywhere and spreading these germs. Cody Walker goes into a lot about how this whole arc is about identity, and I don't think he's actually super far off because pig has identity issues himself mm-hmm. but he's also this drug that he's dispersing 
it says in here explicitly destroys a sense of identity and then the dolatrons you're robbing people of identity by turning them into this vague thing but then it's also dick battling with his own identity of being batman or not and then damien similarly but anyway as the scene where dick finds out that the explosions are not explosions and it's a bacterial infection that top panel where he's breaking through some glass and knocking over a big dolatron i love that it has written in the sound effects crash there in the broken glass and the spilling milkshake and the and it's another instance of like a really oh. small <laughs> will eisner thing but he did like quietly did some wow. serious will eisner work in this wow Damn, that's I cool did, i, did, I didn't even see yeah i didn't see that one i remember being young and seeing the snh and being like well what is that about and then this time i'm like oh there's a c and the r is subtle the a is the least prevalent letter there but quietly that, yeah I now I have cool. to go back and reread these three issues again because I bet you there's little things like that throughout here. All over, like the explosions in issue two and deeming is thrown into a wall, the cracks fissure into a spoken word. And then later on in this issue, when so our, cool. our surprise bad boy shows up at the end and shoots some people in the head, the blood splatters all spell out bang. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just more, more gorgeous Eisner yeah. work that doesn't happen as often in comics as it should, because I think it's kind of a no-brainer thing. I think it takes a huge amount of skill, but it was done by Eisner an eternity ago and <laughs> hasn't been brought to the forefront by other artists a ton. How about the fact that I think we're in the same amusement park as The Killing Joke? I think we are, because, yeah, because Gordon says how it should have all been burned down long ago. And there is, uh, and there is a, uh, and of course, any amusement park might have this, but there is a Joker smile painted on one of these tents. Right. That would add to the the parallel of like Damien to Pig to Bruce to Joker. You yeah, know, like this is their yeah weird confrontation and noticing the similarities between the two. I do love the the battle sequence between Damien and Pig as it progresses, and just the shot of Damien's head and the streak of fire that so effectively conveys that he just got whapped outside of the head, like his eyes look dead and <laughs> open and in that panel quietly just set set that gorgeous rod next to my mouth i like, <laughs> can just see the innocence of the 10 year old beaten and about to fall even though it's just a shot of his sort of lifeless face just amazing amazing yeah that badass fucking vicious 10 year old is still a 10 year old right yeah yeah and i do love on the next page at the top when another shot just like in a previous issue where in the previous issue oh it was mr toad when when dick and damien both simultaneously and the cameras from behind them punch him and this one they both simultaneously kick pig and take him out and, and it's right that. and it's right against the joker tent smile <laughs> and it's also on the top left of a page so you can like scan through oh your, yeah if you compare this page to like page five or six of issue one it's the same shot of the back of them taking out somebody together which yeah. is an awesome moment i mean and speaking to that moment you know damien's about to have a shit wrecked by pig and dick comes and saves him takes out pig it's awesome the moment he doesn't oh i was gonna say the moment where where dick says like partners remember batman and robin burning great and then D damien says there was a girl did did you just save my life and it's just like <laughs> that's the moment you know like mm -hmm. that's the moment that everything is kind of built upon and i love that you get this breath there and it it really creates the salient idea that these two 
have a respect and an earnestness. And I don't think probably up until this point in Damien's life ever, he had been compassionately forgiven. Right. And I like how Dick knew not to chastise him. Right. You know, he said Batman and Robin, right? He made the empathetic appeal to it rather than saying, you ran off and you fuck, you know, you, you know, Bruce maybe would have done that, but Dick Grayson knows that he needs to be kind. Yeah. And that's even in a way foreshadowed earlier when Pig is talking to his wire mother and hearing the voice saying, you could do better. Oh, Roman. Dang. Another one. Getting You're just reeling them in. Reeling this, this Damien Pig comparison is so good, bud. It's, it's it's thanks to you guys doing this doing this podcast because I didn't get any of that the first time I read these. Can I ask you guys a question? On the following page, we get the shot. It's this gorgeous shot of like a display within the carnival, but like we see Dick running up the roller coaster tracks behind what looks like this weird series of skeletal displays. It's of fucked things. up. Does anyone know what those are referencing or why? They, like, that's a lot of detail. That had to have taken our good friend Franklin, uh, <laughs> you know, a couple of days to do. And I just, yeah, I, I wasn't able to understand necessarily the why of that. And I'm curious if anybody else did. Yeah, I didn't have time to to look up any of those. I just read this, you know, this morning. Me too. Um, and yeah, I didn't. And it was funny, Django was texting me about trivia trivia things about the growing man from Marvel Comics. He was texting <laughs> me things about lunar distribution shipments while I was trying to read my comics. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, we're always working, people. That's, yeah. that's, 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 that's the takeaway. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what those are, but yeah, this is... But that panel made me think, God, I want to I wanna go through this uh, amusement park someday because it's... <laughs> creepy and messed you would. up <laughs> you would with a pig mask on yeah i i would like be huffing some addictive like bacterial infection in order to get myself the courage enough to go through here yeah not not happening i do love that dick is able to just say oh i found the antidote because it's labeled antidote and then amongst those things it has the domino my first read through this whole like 16 issues this this domino motif becomes prevalent and i just kept being like i don't understand how dominoes work i've never played dominoes but upon this reading i'm just like oh it's the first one is 12 12 the next one is 12 11 the next one's probably going to be 11 10 and it's just counting down but mm -hmm. i thought it was like at some point later on the reference like a mexican train or something is and i didn't know if that was a type of domino or anyway i was like oh it's just that something is coming something is happening we're counting down and someone is placing these dominoes places Right. Well, they're also called the dead man's bones. I think it's a countdown until when oh. the dead man comes back. Okay. Oh, wow. Cool. But I don't really know. No, you and I, I think don't do as much domino gambling as we used to. Okay. Okay. I really like the sequence of Gordon talking to Dick. I mean, obviously, I, I'm just, I think that Morrison has such great storytelling about how other people interact with Dick while he's still Batman and the familiarity is there, but I love how Gordon kind of just says, you have my trust and I'll be there with you. And I love that, you know, Dick says, and if you Gotham gets sick, you know how to reach us. And he throws the antidote at him and it's kind of Kirby-esque shot of something bursting out of the page. <laughs> I love it. It's such a, that's Batman. Like he, yeah. he, he found his Batman. He found his performative role, you know, and he stepped into it at that moment, you know, and it's, it's a kinder, Bruce Wayne would be like, I'll be around. But yeah, or like, just disappear. <laughs> right. But he's like, you know, making a connection like, I'm here, I'm here for you too. And uh Yeah. 
that was a, a great of... great sequence that's a, and that's a beautiful panel because it is you know in the background damien's just like looking toward the bat quad not paying attention to this interaction with gordon and him and yeah just that motion but at the same time i was also like Jesus, Dick! I can't believe you just like tossed the antidote vial, and, <laughs> and, and Gordon was lighting his cigarette. Maybe he wasn't paying attention. Maybe he missed the catch. <laughs> that shot of Gordon lighting his cigarette, sort of from above, looking down on that same mm-hmm. page. That's the kind of stuff I love about Frank Quietly. I can't place it, but just he's small within that shot. But there's so much clothing detail, perspective detail, like little sketchy lines. Like that's just for some reason that kind of epitomizes Quietly's art style to me. Yeah, and each of the three characters, I mean, they're they're so, they're each doing their own actions and motions, characteristic of them, and it's it looks so deceptively simple. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Hey, I love Dick Bats. I'm trying to like understand on the shot where it shows the oinker himself in his prison, and like all my dollies in rows like dominoes. Pigs crept in, oink oink, and then oink, and that shot where it says oink it has all these like different rooms but they look more like trays that you would pull out of like with dead bodies in it. But I feel yeah. like it's maybe supposed to be a zoomed out shot of all of the cells stacked together, but I really couldn't, they don't yeah, have that's... doors. I guess there is a door drawn on the one that he's in. Like, what, yeah, what that, is that con- to you? Yeah. That confused me too. Um, Cause yeah, it looks like a, a bank of drawer, dead body drawers in a morgue, but right. no, it's, he's in a cell. He's standing up at a normal sized door on the inside. But yeah, that long shot, it's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Because yeah. that, that's that no, there's no way, confusing. yeah, you couldn't do cells like that. How would you reach the top cells? There's no stairs, there's no ladders. Right. And you can't really <laughs> open them. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just a visual metaphor, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Or maybe there's a dead body somewhere that was reincarnated or some oink oh, or pig thing. It's, it's the girl who died in the top panel. And then she slid into the moratorium thing, but she's saying oink inside there. Oh, there we go. Oh, there right. Because there's no, Pink you're right. He's still infected people. Well yeah. done. Yeah, there's no numbers on the outsides of these drawers that, you know, prison numbers or anything. You're right. Yeah. You know what? No one likes to say, hey, I didn't really get this thing. But if people don't vulnerably say like, hey, I don't understand something, it doesn't cause everyone around you to slow down for a second and then be able to make sense out of it. Justin, well done. Oh. Everybody, that that was that was an awesome tag team basketball moment. No. Justin got the three point, but that was good. Like we wouldn't have gotten it unless we slowed down. So like, no, I had no I fucking idea what it was too, and I'm glad you guys brought it up. So interesting how much we've been getting out of doing all this. Then we get yeah. the great you know foreshadowing scene from the end of R.I.P., which is cast in red and black, and it's Damien and Dick going to take down Lebosu or Django. I mean, <laughs> and. And I love it. And they jump through the skylight and the scene that echoes the stuff from R.I.P. We don't get a shot of them yelling Batman and Robin never die, which I had like internalized in my memory as a shot that was in here, but I guess isn't. But there you get that nice shot of them breaking through the skylight at the very least. Right. Yeah. I just like to imagine there's a bunch of donuts beneath little gargoyle Django and he's using all these tools to further dissect them. But we all know it's not donut. And let's see here my friends the the this final sequence here we get it's alfred looking at photos of bruce and dick and he and ace and then we got the cool shot of talia and damien which i love and just sort of got alfred going through his life opening the curtains or closing them at night for the the bat bunker downtown we get the shot of someone standing on the gargoyle are we to assume that that is the red hood as as is revealed to be seeing the little girl 
in the morgue there? Who do you think is standing there? I, I don't know. Used to want to think that it was someone that shows up that's a little more um, enigmatic. enigmatic. Yeah, but I think with the texture of the boots and the weird texturing you see on Red Hood's costume, it's a similar type texturing. You see the, the rigid kind of lines on his gloves. And in the shot of Red Hood, when they reveal him sitting there, he uh, has kind of a weird folded rigid thing on his boots. So it's probably, and who else would know? Like Red Hood would want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that, I think that the Red Hood, Dick Grayson, like it was brilliant on Morrison's part to make, because at this point, I think we'd only really had Judd Winnix under the Red Hood. We hadn't been getting much of Jason's return. And we'll get way more into this next week as we're talking about the second arc. But I, I think it is a super great storytelling thing to have, you know, recently brought back Jason Todd competing with Dick Grayson. He was in Battle for the Cow a little bit. But I do... One thing I liked about this Batman and Robin run that is a very strong current throughout the Red Robin run that was written around the same time is that Tim Drake is sure Bruce is alive and he's out globetrotting trying to find him. And there are times throughout this whole run where I felt like, oh, is this where Bruce comes back? And I liked, you know, I think there's maybe something to the effect that like maybe you could interpret that as possibly Bruce overlooking them like keeping an eye on them if he is still alive which i think is kind of a mystery that is pushed through the series is bruce wayne alive or dead and where is he right that could just not it could be multiple different people and it's just meant to drive us kind of crazy and give us a clue that makes us go because this whole run i was like when the where the fuck is bruce what's (laughs) happening bat daddy coming back yeah as much as i love dick bats right uh, the, mystery the final of- s- sequence of the crazy Dolatron who's able to maintain her own identity because Pig had abandoned the, the procedure to toy with Damien. She's killing her father and she's killing other Dolatrons, which is messed up. And then she kills the... Or the yeah. Then, then the Red Hood comes and kills the police officers and he says, you have anything else planned? And kind of recruits him to be his Robin, so to speak works which again i think works really well as a comparison point for between damien and somebody else but what a what a boatload of crazy stuff in an issue and i'm so glad we talked about it because there's always there more there when you're willing to stare at it right and i i just really like yeah that like the red hood is now kind of sizing up with dick grace and like i'll show you that i'm the better one because his whole thing is like batman should be killing people because Mm -hmm it will only accelerate the problem if you don't. And so now he's like, well, I'm going to be Batman and Robin, um, but I'm going to kill motherfuckers. Um, And so, yeah, I just like that he recruits this like twisted, fucked up little girl as his Robin. Just a a cool thing. And I, yeah, I can't wait to see where this this rivalry goes. Yeah. And and it's, Jesus, there's like, like uh, father, themes and symbolism with both red hood if if this red hood is jason todd and and this girl um wow yeah he's so smart yeah he's so good we're we're just in he's a good writer he's a good writer and we're just we're in his web you know we're in yeah we're in his weird little sex dungeon of pigs and we're just slapping it up we're just (laughs) at the trough just laughing laughing up (laughs) give it to me like feed me the trotters oh oh god (laughs) I need it. Give me the part. 
Well, I just want to say thank you, Frank Quietly, for drawing these three issues for us and letting us have them as a thing that will always exist for all eternity. And we will always have this little chunk of Morrison and Quietly, along with some other Morrison and Quietly chunks in the world. But I'm sad already to be leaving the Quietly zone. I know. just have to like lap up all the covers or something, but... They were such a gift that I didn't realize that was going to be so fickle, you know. I was like, oh, Quietly's going to be on this whole run. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I didn't even know who Quietly really was before this. You know, this was probably my first introduction to him. Now I'm flipping through the first couple pages of this next issue, and I don't remember this shit at all. So I have read the issues a ton, but the who's this artist? Um, something Clark, I think. Oh, Philip Tan did that one. Oh, Philip Tan. Okay. And then actually, like Clark's work later in this room. Yeah. Yeah. Which normally, you know, I like Philip Tan a lot. Normally I'd be like, oh yeah, this is, this is really cool. But after quietly, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So glad that we've switched to three days a week because it was fortuitously aligned with the fact that all of these story arcs are three issue arcs. I moving love on it out. too. So uh, the universe takes care of us, we've found. And the scheduling has just gotten crazy because uh, the world keeps speeding up, even though it should probably slow the hell down. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. We, we got it. I got to take my little kitty cat to the vet. So, you know, I'll probably skedaddle. Um, well, well, I'm Justin. And give me the sex pork. <laughs> give me the sex pork. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm Roman. And, you know, Justin took my line. So. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm Jeff. And you can get a hold of us by writing an email to batmaninquarantine at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to have a little bit more time. And we do have a couple of emails in the bank. I'm really excited to read. So thank you for writing. Keep on writing. If you could write us a review on any podcast app that you use, just scroll to the bottom, hit write a review, or just leave some stars. That would really help us reach a wider audience. And we would love to reach a wider audience because we're putting in the time, boys. We are. All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Thank you.